genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. Today we're continuing our mini-series on the live-action films of Wes Anderson with his fourth film released in 2004, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. And we have a guest joining us to talk about ocean exploration, sea ship cutaways, and revenge. His comedian, podcaster, and returning guest, Billy McCartney. Welcome back, Billy. Thanks. You can call me Steve Z. <laughs> okay. Papa Steve. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm so happy to be here. I am so excited. Welcome back to the show. You know, last week we talked a lot about, with Royal Tenenbaums, we talked a lot about how it was sort of the first appearance of, like, fully formed Wes Anderson. Yeah. And I think that this is, if 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 Royal Tenenbaums is fully formed Wes Anderson, this is concentrated Wes Anderson. Yes, uh, I like that. <laughs> it is a much larger budget than he had ever worked with before. Probably too much <laughs> for uh, what this was. Because, you know, you're coming off of the Royal Tenenbaums. Royal Tenenbaums is a huge hit. Yep. Huge. And Touchstone Pictures is like... I mean, apparently people really like this kid, so let's let him make whatever he wants. He's like, great, I want to make a love letter to Jacques Cousteau um, that is also a literary riff on Moby Dick. And they're like, I don't know what any of those... Sure, whatever, go ahead. Here's $50 million. Insane. Um, which is an insane amount of money. And um, this movie, worldwide, made 34 So... <laughs> This was a huge, huge, massive flop. And when it was released, notoriously, it was hated mm -hmm. by people, by critics. Critics were like, well, that's it about this guy. He's He's gone too far. Like, maybe maybe the Royal Tenenbaums was a fluke and we never should have let him have that kind of creative control because this is what happens. When, I mean, it was literally like World Tenenbaums was like a Best Picture nominee and then yep. this was trash. Like, uh, to, to everybody. And we're like, we're sick of this guy. Fuck Wes Anderson. He's the worst. And, you know, I'm looking into the, the production of this. And, and, you know, I'm trying to find what the story of this was. And there really isn't one, guys. Because it really just comes down to the fact that, like, he had been stewing on this movie for a while. He loved Jacques Cousteau growing up. He was, like, his favorite celebrity was Jacques Cousteau. Watched every documentary he ever made, read every book, watched every TV special, loved Jacques Cousteau, wanted to make a movie about Jacques Cousteau or a Jacques Cousteau-like character. And originally, he left – is it UTA? Is that the, is that the three-letter abbreviation? Yeah, yeah. yeah University okay. of Texas at Austin. Right. Okay, so he left UTA <laughs> – well, um, uh, commonly, well, well, I guess since you asked, yes. Texans, UTA usually me means University of Texas at Arlington. Oh, um, see, there you go. But but Austin, people just say UT. 
Okay, so so you so he leaves UT and he leaves with three film pitches, right? One is for Bottle Rocket, one is for Rushmore, and one is for The Life Aquatic. What I did not tell you, however, was that the version of Life Aquatic that was that he left with was that it was basically the Royal Tenenbaums, except that Royal Tenenbaum was Steve Sisu. Um, <laughs> and so it was all, it was a family on a ship. They were, they were raised together on a ship and they went on these adventures with their dad. And then when they all were like, I don't want to do this anymore. He sort of like, you know, spirals and, and becomes kind of like a, this lost figure in their lives because he continues to go on his oceanic adventures while the rest of the family is just like, you know, that was a fucked up life we all had. And so that was like what the original version of that was. Now that evolved into the Royal Tenenbaums and then this evolved into something else. And that's it. That's the whole thing. Owen Wilson was <laughs> too busy to write it with him. He really wanted to, but he was acting too much and they couldn't write it together. And Wes Anderson had become really good friends with Noah Baumbach because they had similar sensibilities. You know, he ended up producing Squid and the Whale a year later or a couple years later. And um, they wrote this together at an Italian restaurant that they went to every day. And they would write <laughs> until dinner time. Honestly, they would, that's just <laughs> ideal for me. Honestly, yeah. how do I? I want yeah. that timeline for no, myself. I, I, I'm just picturing just Noah Bombach and Wes Anderson, like two mice wearing suits, <laughs> just yes. walking together into an Italian restaurant every night. No, no, also, no. opening. They opened opening. the Italian restaurant oh, yeah. with them. Oh, uh, okay, okay, every and it's, morning. It's staged like a Wes Anderson movie, so just he like is... piles of spaghetti, waiters in full yeah. tuxedos, and then yeah. just like so... on typewriters. He is so cute and romantic with <laughs> yeah. his with his co- uh, Billy. He met his his lifelong cinematographer by writing him a literal like love letter in the mail, asking oh, him to like. And that they then he shot Bottle Rocket and every other movie yeah, after this. Right? Yes, yeah. human. He's great. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yes. So so yeah. That's so they, they wrote this movie together because he was like, I need somebody to bounce ideas off of because I can't I can't write by myself not yet anyway. Mm-hmm. And so he he wrote this with Noah Baumbach, and I think you know I do think that this movie is the most mumblecore of yeah. his films. It's like mumblecore with an insane art direction. Yep. But mumblecore mm. nonetheless. <laughs> and that and then they made he they gave him fifty million dollars to make like the most expensive mumblecore movie ever. I heard and this might be an insane rumor that I misheard years ago, but like some of the funding came from Disney. Well, it's Touchstone. Oh, okay, that's Touchstone why. Pictures that's why. is was, so, was yeah. owned by Disney. Hi, I'm gonna do yeah. also all the fish are stop motion. Here's fifty million dollars. Right, and that was all directed by Henry Selleck, uh, the director of Coraline and Nightmare Before Christmas. Incredible. Yeah. It's it's gorgeous. This is a, a very interesting movie, and it, it's full of, I think, Wes Anderson's obsessions and... <laughs> Just even like what we what I, what we've learned about him just since starting this mini series, I also think there's a lot of that kid l- sitting on the floor of his living room watching Magnum PI in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> um, and this is also a comedy about Bill Murray going after a shark that ate his friend. Like <laughs> this, this is it's probably his funniest movie. I yeah, uh-huh. Cert- uh, and so it, it's a I, I'm I'm really excited to talk about it with you two today. 
Yeah. Uh Yeah. It's, but it is one that I have an interesting relationship with because I remember Mm -hmm. when it came out, I really didn't like it. I kind of agreed with everybody. I was like, wow, this like meanders. It's got a weird vibe. I, you know, I don't, it's like funny in parts, but then it's also really not funny in other parts. And I don't know. I don't understand what the point of any of this is. And it wasn't until, and then like, I, I think around late, my late twenties, I revisited all his movies and I revisited this one. And then this one was my favorite for a long time. And now rewatching them again, I, I found myself, I've settled into like a, this is really nice to watch because I love the vibes. I love the aesthetic. The movie is good. And I, but I do think that it's not as tight as a lot of his other movies. I think it's, it's a, it, it, it's a little more free flowing than a lot of his other movies. Um, (laughs) I watched the documentary about the making of this and there's a lot of moments in it where he's like, just do it and we'll see what we get. And I'm like, when is Wes Anderson ever that guy? That's so crazy. (laughs) Um, so it just has a really like interesting vibe. Real ramshackle. Yeah. I don't think it's my favorite. Uh, anymore, but I, I I do still really 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 enjoy watching it. Uh, Billy, Billy, I what would is lo- your, yeah. yeah. What is your relationship with the film? So I have had the audacity to describe this movie as my favorite movie, uh-huh. and as I sat down to watch it last night, I got really worried about reevaluating <laughs> because I hadn't watched it probably mm-hmm. in like four years. Sure, probably, um, and it's definitely still up there. I think it's wonderful. Um, yeah. I saw it for the first time. So when I was in high school. I had a friend who was into a lot of like weird cinema and he showed me this movie, but my mom showed up to pick me up after like the first 30 minutes. So I literally only got the first 30 minutes of the movie and I was like, Oh, all right, bye. And we like never revisited it, but it stuck in my head forever. And then mm-hmm. in college, uh, uh, OCU had a half decent film library um, of like, now tell us which. Now tell us what that one stands for. <laughs> My, me and Nick went to Oklahoma. Shut up. Um, it's Oklahoma City <laughs> University. Ooh, baby, look at us. Uh-huh. Cool. Um, but they had a half decent film library, and I was I got in the habit because someone was like, "Oh, they've got Old Boy. Go, you can watch, you know, Korean films and whatnot." So I was like, slowly renting movies from the library, and they had The Life Aquatic, and I had never stopped thinking about it, and so I grabbed it, watched it on my own, cried. <laughs> and fell in love with it immediately. It was also my first ever Wes Anderson film. So then I was like, all right, well, and I think at that point, all we had still was um, the Darjeeling Limited. Uh, and so I went through and watched every Wes Anderson film um, and immediately was like, oh, now I have a film director to be obsessed with. Great. Um, I now own every Wes Anderson film on DVD and it's a thing. It's an on- I can't wait for the next one. I love his whole thing. And I do, and I get, I, especially when it comes to the critics of this movie, um, people will be like, I say I love Wes Anderson, and they say, what's your favorite Wes Anderson film? And I say, oh, the worst one, or oh, the one everyone hates. Um, mm-hmm. But I even again last night, I found myself alone in my apartment laughing out loud at the lines of dialogue in this movie, and then, like, heavy sobbing at one point. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about, because <laughs> I cry, I also cry at a different point every spot in this movie. Like, every time I watch it, it's somewhere different. There is one spot that is the most frequent, but it's, like... And I I don't know if I just watched it at just the right age. I don't know if it's, like... Because it's a very funny movie with a very sad plot with very sad people. 
Like, mm-hmm. if you, it's like, what's the movie about? It's a very sad <laughs> plot, and everyone in it is very unhappy. Um, but there's there's a little bit in it about like masculinity and what that means, um, about fathers and sons, and about if that relationship matters. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And there's I don't know there's just a lot of a lot of things in it that I really kind of connected with at the right age, and now I'm like fuck I'm stuck with it, especially after last night. No, I'm still in love. Here we go. <laughs> For sure. Uh, that's great. I, uh, I I mentioned this in a couple episodes past, but this was the first Wes Anderson movie I saw in theaters. Mm-hmm. Potentially the first one I saw, period. Um, I went to go see this in theaters with my dad. And it's kind of this reoccurring theme where I've been able to get him to watch these weird indie movies with me when I had needed someone to drive me to the movies. <laughs> and we kind of like discovered something new together, like Napoleon Dynamite. We saw that like opening weekend. Hell yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so and we so we saw this and this really had a huge impact on me watching it in like the seventh or eighth grade or however old I was. I I often say that The Simpsons kind of taught me a lot of comedy, like how to what funny is or what jokes are. And this is a very similar where this really like opened my brain up in terms of like just tracking shots, the way the the movement of the camera to make me laugh and like. The, rev- the whip pan reveals and mm-hmm. the use of music. So, yeah, like uh, this is how I heard a lot of Bowie for the first time. Same. You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, like not even a teenager yet, yeah. really. Sorry, I'm laughing thinking and about so, camera shots, just the way you said that. Like, yeah, no, I, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So there's parts of this movie because I haven't revisited it a lot, if at all, since seeing it like that night in 2004. But wow. certain moments are just embedded into my brain forever. Mm-hmm. But Watching it today, this morning, in the wake of like watching all of these in a row and kind of examining them as a whole, I just I love this movie so much and I'm so glad it exists. And it's almost like willfully imperfect compared to Royal Tenenbaums and Rushmore, mm-hmm. where it is kind of like it lets itself be messy and sprawling and not as tight. And that I could I, I could totally see why this came out to middling reviews, especially after Royal Tenenbaums and Rushmore. But I think there's a reason this is a lot of people's favorite because it might be the most fun to revisit over and over again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. despite the crushing sadness of 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 its of its climax. It's mm-hmm. like really rewatchable and really fun in a way that some of his other movies aren't for me as great mm-hmm. as they are. I caught I caught things this move this watch like the eighth or ninth time that made me laugh for the first time that I'd never seen before. Well, I'll talk about it when we get. Oh, there. me too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you're right, Scott. I do. This is right when I was starting to pay attention to things like film reviews and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, when I was getting Entertainment Weekly in the mail every every Friday. And I remember, yeah, the reviews were like, oh, it's so full of itself. He's up his own. But, you know, style yeah. over substance, you know, it's a real shame what happened to that Wes Anderson boy, they'd say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was definitely that vibe. And then. You know, we'll talk about it next week, but I don't think Darjeeling Limited Help Matters. It, it kind of felt like a double down for him. I was I was going to say, I, Billy, I would say that that's kind of remembered as like, quote, the worst one. And, and more honestly, than yeah. uh, in my top three Wes Anderson, it's Life Aquatic, Darjeeling Limited, and then probably Grand Budapest. Like, that's probably my top three. Uh-huh. I, I adore yeah. the Darjeeling Limited. And I know I don't want to talk about it because that's next week. But the scene where Owen Wilson unwraps his face for the first time is like profound, brilliant, genius. Love it. Iconic. All those words. Yeah, he is. He it's fascinating how great Wes Anderson is at moments of such silliness and playfulness. And then like 
just physical pain, yes. you know, like mm-hmm. getting physical guttural, like, you know, in, like reactions from people as far as like violence mm-hmm. that can be so effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so we start at the premiere of Zizu's 12th uh, documentary sea adventure. <laughs> the Jaguar Shark Part 1. Oh, the name of the documentary. Yeah, the, yeah this yeah. one is the Jaguar Shark Part 1 because, well, it ends on a cliffhanger. Great. Yeah, like Dune. <laughs> like Dune. <laughs> and what immediately what's so arresting about this movie is uh, Anderson has gone international. It starts in French. It starts in, in, in this like beautiful, chic French film festival. And it's just so funny seeing how far this, this kid from Austin has come since, you know, shooting at motels outside of uh, Texas. It's actually an Italian film festival. An Italian uh, film festival. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. But they speak um, they French just Naples. to make it Wes Anderson-y. I, I mean, I guess, but yeah, they shot it in Naples, and it's meant to be. Uh, I ha- I look, I saw them talk about where this was supposed to take place, but it's it is it is Italian, and it's it's funny because the interview that I was reading, the interviewer also says like it's a French film festival, and Wes Anderson's like it's Italian. Yeah, actually, it's an Italian film festival. And sure. So- well, I mean, like, I mean, I'm I'm an ignorant American. Like, I've never been to Europe. I I just see fancy europe stuff and i'm like oh france well i mean they, sure. they she is yeah. the, the the language spoken at the festival at the top is french which is i think hilarious okay. that it's set in italy because of course it is of course it's like but we're yeah. a dignified film festival so of course the language of the night is france like it's like the olympics <laughs> yeah. english and french you know hilarious yeah so the uh the the documentary ends with the uh the death of zizu's beloved uh partner Esteban, who, <laughs> yeah, I think that if you're not on board for this joke, you're not on board for the comedy for the rest of the movie. Just oh, uh-huh. you are are you, are you referring to the, well, the fact where he comes up and he he describes the shark first and makes sure it's on film, and the last thing he says is Esteban was eaten. Esteban yeah. was eaten. Oh, it's like great. it's the final point. <laughs> uh, Klaus like not hearing Steve from the water. <laughs> Like he All got right. bit? No, eat no, swallowed whole. Swallowed whole? No, chewed. And just like <laughs> you could hear the pain in 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 Bill Murray's voice because he did just see his beloved friend get eaten. But That's it's the pod. And and you're right, Billy. It really does immediately nail the movie's tone of being funny and sad at the same time at the same level. Yeah. <laughs> and. Like just the absurdity of of like this is what he this is what Zizu wanted to show to the audience, and so the Q and A afterwards, they're all like baffled, and yeah, the journalist is like, "Wait, so what are you doing? What's the next part two is going to be about?" And he's like, "I'm going to kill the shark." That <laughs> that's yeah. What's the what's the scientific reasons for that? And yeah. then it's just that long beat, that long mm-hmm. tortured beat before he goes revenge <laughs> like you just it's that's so funny i also love the uh the first time he has a question in the audience as soon as the person starts speaking that couple in the back stands up and starts to leave like it's just these yeah. little right. yeah. there's always like an extra joke on top of the original joke every time and it kills mm-hmm. me it it really there really is and this is this film festival is like immediately one of anderson's most elaborate play sets yet of mm-hmm. Just in terms of how much is going on, how much character there is on the screen. Like you said, like every extra almost feels like they have a little story behind them. Yeah. Uh, that guy, that old man that has his little stack of Steve Zizou posters that he wants Steve to sign. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is the most real thing, you know, having worked at the Arclight and having dealt with 
uh, scalpers or not scalpers. What are those those idiots that have like tons of autograph. posters that they want signed? Yeah, just to resell them. That, like, yeah, hmm. just to resell them. Like that was real. Like where he's like, "How many of these do you have?" All right, just forge the rest. <laughs> like just. <laughs> I was uh, that that was all really fascinating to me now watching it because like this is Anderson post Royal Tenenbaums getting a Best Picture nomination mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like he probably has fans like this at this point yeah. that are like Rushmore changed my life please sign sign my arm you know what I find really interesting about this movie coming out of the brain of a thirty two year old yeah, I was thinking uh, about that point, a lot <clears throat> is like. He's making a midlife crisis movie at 32. I think I could relate. And it's just like, that's like the most Wes Anderson thing that could possibly happen. He's already over it. Yeah, he's already over it. He's making a film about the ramifications of death, like coming to terms with death. Yeah. Like, that's what this movie's about. (laughs) It, It reminds me of like, you know, Lord's album that came out this past summer, Solar Power is her kind of being like, I'm ready to pack it in. I think I'm kind of over it. And I'm like, your, your, your Saturn hasn't even returned yet. (laughs) You're 24. But, but sometimes like, yeah, like being hit with that amount of success early on, maybe. And who knows where, but Bombach, I I kept thinking about how much Bombach was in this script compared to how much of this was Anderson grappling with the fame and success that he had early Mm -hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Um, because Bombach hadn't even made Squid and the Whale yet, which I I think to be his breakthrough movie. I don't I don't know how successful Kicking and Screaming was. I've never seen it. Yeah, yeah. It, I've it seen is, the Will Ferrell I, one. I was thinking about that a lot. You know, like because like one of the other things that um you know Nick Nick and I talk about a lot off off uh, mic is what the different because because we talked about the Cornetto trilogy for so long and we talked about what Simon Pegg and, and Edgar Wright individually bring to those scripts as as screenwriters. And then you see something like Star Trek Beyond, and you know that that's co-written by Simon Pegg. And then you see something like Baby Driver, and you know that that was only written by Edgar Wright. And you start to sort of like piece together what they each bring to the table. And now I'm looking at this and thinking about Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson. And I'm realizing that I think what Wes Anderson brings to the table is a lot of these uh, eccentricities and weird humor, mm-hmm. um, this weird sense of humor. And Owen Wilson was the one who was bringing the sort of structure and and very specific like character arcs and things like that. Because this is so much more meandering, but it doesn't. You you can get hypnotized by it and not think that it yeah. is because of how structured everything looks. Yeah. You you lose the fact that the movie is like very meandering and kind of like all over the place. Yeah. Well, we um, I, I, there's also just right right at this point in the movie too, we have that scene with that woman with the amazing headpiece who talks to Steve about how much she likes the movie, and then at the end she goes, "Well, I just don't think they got it." And already I was like, "Is Wes Anderson already preemptively addressing this movie yeah. like up top? Like, no, no, it's like it's fine <laughs> that you didn't get it. That's not the point. It's." Right, yeah. Cuz yeah, even even this opening scene is a little all over the place because we meet mm-hmm. we meet the whole crew in the film within the film. No, we haven't met them yet. Have we? I think they're all kind of hanging yeah, out. Yeah, but we there. do the I think yeah, I know I know the, like like, like we, Klaus is there. Like, Klaus yeah. 34 German and he's like it was the yeah, physicist. That's in the yeah. documentary. We meet the whole crew already and then we jump back to the it's already mm-hmm. like, well, you need to know these people, but not quite yet. We're going back to the film festival and 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, listening, you know, uh, thinking about Bombach's filmography after this, you know, a lot of his movies are very episodic in the way this movie is mm-hmm. episodic. Yes. Like Francis Ha, the Meyerowitz stories. It is just like the series of things that happen to the central character and we kind of are following them on their journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with this, you have a you have a stake in the ground at the beginning of like, I'm, I, you know, what, what is the, the, the quote is like, the quote is like, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get drunk. And then in 10 <laughs> days, I'm going to get it on a ship and I'm going to kill yeah. the shark that killed my friend. And you're welcome <laughs> to join me. And it's like, well, there's the mission statement yeah. of the movie. So it, it has that stake in the ground of like, this is what the action of this movie is about. But then everything else that happens in the movie is about getting in the way of yes. that. You know, I'm gonna go on an overnight drunk, <laughs> including and then I'm gonna Wilson. find the shark that killed my friend. Um, yeah, love, uh, yeah. <laughs> and there's, uh, yeah, immediately with that line, there's like a disassociation and overitness of Bill Murray, but then like anger just barely being contained. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or sad sadness barely being contained. Yeah. Uh, also at the premiere, Steve meets Ned Plimpton, played by Owen Wilson, mm-hmm. doing. A Kentucky I accent. I eat up every second of is it. Is it though? It's okay. Whatever it is, it's, <laughs> it's whatever he's doing, it's fine. Scott, they... you spent the most time in Kentucky. How did how did this past few years? <laughs> oh, it's awful. Um, it, okay. I mean, it's it's not a Kentucky accent. It's a Gone with the Wind accent. And they specifically <laughs> said they worked on the accent together to, because they wanted it to be sort of this cartoonishly over the top theatrical mm-hmm. Kentucky accent. Yeah. Like, um, like and... if we if we could visit Ned. Like back home as a child, and be like, "Hello, boys, it's me, yes. Ned. Are we going to school?" Hey, shut the fuck up, nerd! And they're just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, nineteen eighty nine. He's the Wes Anderson of Kentucky. Yes. Yeah, yes, um, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> How about a little sip of some sweet tea? Uh, like it's and and the the most egregious thing is that he he pronounces it Louisville. Yes. Which is not how uh, it's pronounced. It's pronounced. Louisville. It is how I pronounce it um, because right. it was named after King Louis, and I will fight all the locals. Um, <laughs> but I just, we also get, but you're wrong. Know, and wrong. everyone so from wrong. Texas says that. Yeah. Everyone from Texas says that. And they're all, yeah, wrong. but I grew up um, next it's, to, it's I grew Louisville. up next to Montag County, which is spelled like Montague, the name from Shakespeare. And everyone says Montag or Montag and it's fucking Montague, but whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. For we sure. also get, you guys also have Louisville. In yes. Louisville. L E W I S Ville. I used to, I lived, I grew up yeah. right near Louisville. Yeah. We also get something I love, which is fake Wes Anderson companies. Um, Air Kentucky is hilarious to me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Where yeah. does it go? It's, the, it's like later in the movie when, when uh, he's like Kentucky. Now he's like good country out there. Landlocked. And you're like, yeah. that's why I, I loved that. Landlocked. Yeah. He, it's that that was perfect. Uh-huh. Uh, and yeah, uh, oh, and oh, then we see we meet the, the Zizu Society and we get that fun tour of the Belafonte. That whole uh, sequence which is, is so expensive looking and incredible. Yes. Like, let me tell you about yes. my bow. It's awesome. To to the, the scrim. That's the other thing is all of the transitions in this movie are very cinematic. And all of the dialogue scenes are like a stage play constantly, including mm-hmm. the reveal of the boat, which is just like. We built the half a boat so it could be like a dollhouse. It's, it's insane. It's so great. And, you know, like, I we just got out of Spy Kids mm-hmm. season. And, like, Robert Rodriguez has just, like, this, you know, absolute conviction that, like, saving money is awesome. <laughs> and that, 
<laughs> you know, why why build this fancy set when you can make it inside of a computer? You could, and you know, he has, you know, his philosophy is that it leads to more creativity. Mm-hmm. But you know, I just thinking about like what can happen when money is given to a project like this because it would only happen less and less after Life Aquatic came. Yeah, but like, yeah, this is so obviously, like you said, expensive, but the results are so beautiful and. You could just look at it all day. And I think it leads to why this is a lot of people's favorite movie is like it is a world you really feel you can lose yourself mm-hmm. in and watch for a few hours. Yeah, he didn't have to go so hard that he had animatronic two animatronic dolphins, but he did. He Whoa, went the dolphins weren't real? No, they're animatronic. You're, that's insane. Wow. That's insane that, because, of, they are two because of the shot later with full... Angelica Houston and the two dolphins that just looks like the most insane shot he could have yeah. possibly pulled off. Yeah, two animatronic uh, albino dolphins. Uh, <laughs> the also, dolphins the jaguar are... shark that we get at yes. the end. It's it is a hundred. It's a hundred and fifty pound claymation character. Like stop motion. Eat your heart out, Spielberg. One hundred and fifty pounds. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If yeah, I mean, we'll talk about that that at the oh, end. But I, um... I I don't know if this there. There's one thing too that I was more aware of this time. Um, which is right before this, he meets Ned and he says, he basically finds out he's supposed to be his son. And then he immediately stomps off as David Bowie's Life on Mars starts playing just to get stoned. Yeah. And then he comes back and he's like, oh, you caught me one foot off the carousel. And I don't think I ever noticed younger, like how profoundly fucked up he is as often as like whenever he can't deal with something, he gets drunk or he gets stoned. Yeah. And it's, it, it starts really hard in this scene. And then we have the hilarious shot of Owen Wilson smoking out of a pipe because he's from Kentucky. Hilarious. But <laughs> yeah. that, that moment really hit me this time that he was just like, I can't fucking do this. But then after he's stoned, he immediately comes back. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're, you're right. And like in that scene where like Steve Zizou is like, you know, kind of finishing off a joint and he's like, you want to kill this? And like, and then, yeah, Owen Wilson pulls out his little pipe. We're looking <laughs> Dead in the eye, Anderson's kind of two visions of masculinity for maybe this entire phase of his filmography. I'm not ready to say his whole yep. filmography, but certainly this like early youth, his youth period, where you have like an old man who came from a better age and is like racist and tired and has his doesn't doesn't have homophobic <laughs> overtly homophobic and, and like <laughs> it's like separated from his kids and his wife and just alone. And just taking it all and burying it and not dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And then you have Owen Wilson, who is like 29, the movie says, that is mm-hmm. like trying to live up to a vision of manhood since he was a child. And it is kind of a very innocent, wistful version of manhood with he's very gentlemanly and he has a little gone with the wind accent and he smokes out of a little wooden pipe and <laughs> he defends women's honor. In a way, he's almost even more old fashioned than... Steve's yes. right. yeah, yeah. It's like, oh man, he's he's feels like he's out of time, especially because for the next couple scenes, he's in his pilot's uniform, and it's like it's there's the part where it's like he didn't bring any other clothes, but it's also like no, he just wants to look professional when he's out and about. He's a oh pilot. yeah, he's I don't I don't up. know I don't know when it is, but there's a brilliant scene where you just see him kind of shining his shoes in his cabin. Yes, mm-hmm. and just stuff I think like that. that there's I think there's also you know because this this is ostensibly a story about a man losing. His, I don't know if I'd go so far as to call him a father figure, but like definitely like an older kind of best friend, right? Right. And mm-hmm. he, he loses this guy, and then he is trying to replace him with 
this son that he didn't know that he had. But what I what I find interesting is that it's almost as if Steve Zizou looks up to his son because it feels like he comes from this generation before Steve Zizou. So it, it's this weird thing where they're both looking up to each other in this weird yeah. way and it's then kind like, of... having to find balance in that. I think it's why he's so uncomfortable with like being called father by this guy because he's like, but yeah. you're so old-fashioned. Like I look up to you. It reminds me a lot of uh, Bill Murray's character's relationship with uh, Max and Rushmore. Yeah. Where mm. he, there was like, I admire something about you, but also I kind of want to take you under my wing. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of see you as a peer because I'm mm-hmm. going to like attack you like a peer later on in the movie. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. They, yeah. They, tra- they travel to Zizu compound. A brief moment uh, is after they make fun of his, the, the, the other people in the oceanogra- oceanography society, which is just a hilarious detail to include, that there's all these <laughs> like, European oceanographers that hang out at a fancy clubhouse, is when he takes the earring off and throws it, and Ned goes to get it, and then he immediately puts his hand out to get it back. Yeah. Like, he yeah. knew Ned would go pick it up immediately. I just, that makes me laugh every time. Okay, no, sorry. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> uh, we get the, the rubber tide where all of those like glow in the dark jet jellyfish it's what really blew me away about this movie is it's a comedy that is just creating its own little world mm-hmm. and has such visual imagination every like you said like yeah the world of the different oceanographers and how they each have like an aesthetic and a theme and the fish are all fantastical and stop motion it just yeah. hit me at what a lack of imagination film comedies would have mostly going forward mm-hmm. of like single people in LA improving at each other. Mm-hmm. Everything. I mean, we'll get there when we get more of him, but everything about Goldblum's aesthetic is comedy. <laughs> like every oh, second yeah. of, of his ship, everything about his unit. It's like, it's so fucking funny. Yeah. Alistair Hennessy. Arguably, Hennessey. arguably the movie that set to, that establishes the new status quo in comedy that you're talking about comes out one year later, forty year old virgin in two thousand. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. The birth of yeah of the Apatow age. Yeah, right. Exactly. So yeah, we're right that. I really love when they're exploring the jelly where they're like talking to the jellyfish and the film crew's there and like like Ned's holding a boom mic and Steve calls the crew a pack of strays. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite components of the movie. This this kind of the found family of this film crew that have been through so much together. And what and yeah, every please. single member of the film crew feels fleshed out, even if they have one line of dialogue in the entire film. Like they're mm-hmm. always there. They've all got different aesthetics. They have different jobs on the ship that you see them like consistently doing. Mm-hmm. I love the Wolodarsky is physicist and composer. Um, I love the guy that's always trying to re-edit sound or doing voiceovers. Like that's always funny. Yeah, um, like, it was okay. It sounded. Okay. I love that we never okay. see the Swedish masseuse ever again. Like <laughs> yes. we, yeah. we just see her the one time in the cutaway scene, but that's it. And I I love that Elaine is always topless and never it's never commented on. Uh-huh. Right. Ever. Yeah. Uh, that was a real uh, line in the sand moment, but unspokenly between me and my father at the movie theater. And I was like, that's, well, there it is. That You know, that's something that I always forget. I always, when I think about Wes Anderson, the Wes Anderson aesthetic, I always think of it as very um, buttoned up. And, mm. and, and I'm always shocked in the same way that I'm shocked by the violence in his movies. I'm always shocked by the nudity because you don't even notice it at first. 
most of the Correct. time. Like <laughs> it always like takes you a second to register what you're looking at, and you're like, "Oh, she is naked." Okay, all right, I, I, I forgot. I, yeah, <laughs> I think for the first time ever this viewing, I realized when the whole crew is jogging on the beach shirtless, she's also there. Like, she's <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's her, also topless. She's also and there, it, topless. Yeah. And it's you know, it's kind of it's kind of quietly really cool because it's like not often that you see like nudity, but uh, in a movie that isn't sexualized, mm-hmm. and Correct. so. Yeah. The fact that just through boredom or just they've been to, through so much together that she is comfortable just like being topless around these mostly all men. And yes. like and they're also like they don't sexualize her at all. They're just they're a family. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's her it, thing. it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, Klaus is very jealous of uh, of Ned's arrival. And I just want to take this opportunity to say this might be my favorite Willem Dafoe performance of all time. It's I I would ha- it might be mine as well. He's <laughs> it's, so funny. It, it's so good. It's incredible. <laughs> Did you catch when they show the uh, they show the Steve Zissou film where they're all like uh, 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 swan diving into the like the ice mm-hmm. water? Um, for no, Willem Dafoe just has a brutal mohawk. In just oh, it's amazing! Yes. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's that, and it's moments like that that just really oh, the this they had a whole life together. Not very similar to Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, and this it's things like that too. It's it's the matching scuba gear later, but when you see all the old like Zisu movies, there's mm-hmm. also something about the mythology of Steve Zisu in this world that makes it feel like it's in the same universe as the Venture Brothers. Like he <laughs> yeah. was like a Johnny Quest like character when he was mm-hmm. younger. He's this mm-hmm. action hero. He had all this money. They had matching outfits. They went on adventures. It's almost like Saturday morning cartoon. Mm-hmm. And you now know, he's like washed up and sad about it. <laughs> yeah. There were moments like watching this. I was thinking, I know that Patrick Willems made that viral video. Wouldn't it be kooky, crazy, silly if Wes Anderson made an X-Men movie? But Wes Anderson would make a bitch an X-Men movie. I 100% he, agree. <laughs> he would. He would. Honestly, I would love to see... I, uh, he'd make a great Fantastic Four movie, too. Like, mm-hmm. I think yes. he would make a killer Fantastic Four Oh, movie. my God, yeah. A family of estranged explorers that have to deal with each other's baggage in a confined space. Yep. yep. Like, yep. And he's, such, he's so great at world building because you really... You start to kind of get the, oh, yeah, the Hennessy group and the Zizu group aren't cool together. There's unprotected waters that you have to worry about. <laughs> there's that... Um. There's that one little moment where Wolodarski runs out on the compound and he's like, hey, Steve, they need you on the Echo Box. And then he pushes the Echo Box. He's like, Steve here. And they're like, hey, we need you. And like Wolodarski could have just said, Steve, can you need to come over this way? But they have to use the technology on the <laughs> island because then it's not Zisu enough. Like it's just an extra step that wastes time is him going to the box to push the button. And no, there's, for sure. there's things like that that kill me through the whole movie. I never noticed before. It's we're, uh, in a second when when Ned's in his cabin. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Zisu messages him on the intercom and he says, push the red button to talk. And Ned goes, the white button? And it's white. And he pushes it. Like, Bill, Z, Steve has no idea what the colors on his own show. Oh, like, that's fun. It's yeah. little things that just kill me. <laughs> uh, but, uh, back on the beach, a Kate Blanchett. So, is that, yeah, one of my favorite things speaking is. Speaking of like, accents. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, this came out the same season as The Aviator, which, mm-hmm. like, blew my mind watching her performances as as Catherine Hepburn blew my mind so like that brought me back all of a sudden of like oh yeah I remember her performance in this movie doing like yeah a hard to place very like kind of upper crust English accent I think is that what it is it's or maybe like fancy Australian or like is she from South Africa I have no idea I I don't even know that it's all accent I I because she's also doing something with her voice It, it it sort of reminds me of um uh, like Jane Goodall. Uh, Moaning Myrtle a little bit. Yes. 
Oh yeah, there's like a moaning it's, myrtle quality to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it's admirable because like Jane, I don't know if there if Jane really exists on the page, but she does. Yeah, I think Kate Blanchett really gives her soul and flesh, and you know, yes. feels like a real character. So fun thing about her, she is the third actress cast in this role. Okay. Cool. First with Gwen was Gwyneth Paltrow because you know of course he yeah. likes working with the same actors again. She had to leave for scheduling difficulties, and then they cast Nicole Kidman, who would have ruled in this, but yes. uh, also had to leave because of scheduling uh, conflicts. And then they cast her, and as they were fitting her for her prosthetic stomach, she passed out, and then they took a blood sample and realized she was actually pregnant. Because it's not and, it's not a stomach in this. It's actually her. Yes, it's actually her stomach. Yeah. 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 Wow. Um, crazy. Yeah, because she was actually pregnant. And she was like, well, we better shoot all my stuff in order then because it's only going to get bigger. <laughs> and I love that when she walks up on the beach, he said, you look pregnant. I am pregnant. Like, just immediately you get so much about her personality. She had to take a, a, a four-hour boat ride because they forgot to pick her up. Like, it's just, like they immediately start yeah. treating her like shit. Um, my, uh, <laughs> my favorite thing about Klaus is that he's not he he fucks up all the time. He's not uh-huh. like great at his. He's just so loyal. Yes. yes. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> just... Oh, and this is this is the part. This so this is a joke I never noticed before. Is right after this scene earlier, he'd made a comment about get me a Campari, and then in this, there's a, a shot of them sitting in the boat, and Steve has like a full like twelve ounce cup. That is yeah. only Campari to the yeah. top. Yeah. It's like electric orange. There's and I had a... never seen that joke before. I was like, like that's so fucked up. I, I, I don't know when it I don't know when it is in the movie, but there's this part where he's like talking to Jane, I think, and just like an intern walks past him and he sees the intern and he goes, Hey, can I get a Campari? And <laughs> yeah, the intern's like she's interviewing on, him on, on the rocks, and Steve says he's like, just like finger guns. <laughs> yes. yes. There's the, you want to go on my balloon? Hey, you want to go on my balloon? Uh, yeah. So there, so there's in the documentary, there's that's actually a really uh, great moment in the documentary is when they're shooting that scene in particular. So it's this is just Bill Murray being Bill Murray, but like he does it, right? And and Wes Anderson is like, cut, that's great. And he was like, that sucked. I can do it better. Let me do it again. I can do it better. And then, and then he does, he's like, all right, let's do it again. And he puts on the sunglasses and then he just does it exactly like he did before. And he was like, cut. And he was like, he was like, see, see what happens when you, when you let me do it again, I can do it so much better. It's exactly <laughs> the same. He was just wearing sunglasses. I, did it. I fully believe that like on paper, there's very few things likable about Steve Zissou and everything oh. likable about him is Bill Murray's performance. Like, yeah. <laughs> Right. It's, you know, we, we talked a little bit, Billy, last week of uh, Anderson being a really underrated metacaster yes. of using our perception of actors to his advantage when filling out his casts. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I I think you're right. Like the audience bringing our love for Bill Murray, this mm-hmm. art from our childhood, you know, to this like now, like the way that a lot of people love Steve Zizou when they were young. Yeah, right. You know, we well, like, the, forgive so much of his behavior. A hundred percent. Like, because I was even rewatching it this time at the very beginning at the film festival. He's such a sack of shit in every single mm-hmm. scene. We mm-hmm. meet, and speaking of underrated performances in this movie, we meet Angelica Houston as Bill Murray is talking to one of, or Steve is talking to one of his flings. Like he's talking to mm-hmm. the other woman. And then he mm-hmm. tries to introduce her to Angelica they know Houston. He, they immediately like, know who they are. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, Are you really going to do this to me here now? <laughs> and, then, and then when he gets to the compound and her, for the first thing she says to him is, your cat's dead. A rattlesnake bit it in the throat. Like, <laughs> like God damn it. Do you have to like word it like that? It, yes. it's, I mean, it's so funny and so sad at the same time. Yes. Yes. I love her um, performance. I love every second of her in this movie. And oh, she's, like, what kind of she's cat was amazing it? in this. I Which, going back to what you were saying about Bill Murray and the meta casting of Bill Murray in this role. Uh, the interview I was reading with Wes Anderson about this movie, he was like, "Yeah, after Rushmore, we went we went and saw it was it was a uh, it was a screening of Rushmore, and we watched a screening of Rushmore in New York, and then we left. And as we were walking home, people we just started collecting people who just saw Bill Murray and started walking with us." <laughs> and by the time we That's got to where ends. we were going, it was a group of 40 people. And he wow. recreates that moment at the end of this movie yep. with with them walking and like it, people just kind of being attracted to Steve Zissou. So going back to uh, what you were saying about the meta casting, it's like it's right there. Yeah, for sure. That's crazy. So uh, speaking of like needless complicated, we, I, I, I love the Adidas the, by Zizou. <laughs> I do too. I want a pair so bad. <laughs> Those are great. I, I was literally looking up if I could buy a pair uh, earlier. They I, this is a, a smaller stakes, but I was running around my apartment before we started recording because I know I have a red beanie somewhere and I'm so mad I couldn't find it and just like come on to this <laughs> talk with you all just like in full um, Zisu cosplay. Incredible. I really enjoyed that conversation between Angelica Houston and Bill Murray where Bill Murray's like, I hate fathers and I never wanted to be one. That I line think. is a gut punch every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I keep thinking about uh, that story you told Scott about Wes Anderson's dad being like, "What did what did I do? Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> why do you keep doing this? Like, what, no, nothing. It's not about you." <laughs> and that's I, I that kind of hits me. I think, and maybe that's one of the reasons I connected with this movie so much um, because I was I was in the closet when I saw it for the first time, and there was always this like expectation, this unspoken expectation of like grandchildren. Whereas, like, I don't have a bad relationship with my father at all. But this fear, or not even fear, this, like, active dislike of being a father myself is something, wow, where did this come from? Holy guys, opening a box. But, like, this, it was, like, something I really connected with. Because even from, like, a young age, I was like, I don't want to have kids. And I never had a way to, like, verbalize that. And this line was always a gut punch when he says, I hate, I hate fathers and I never wanted to be one. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Every no, time. No, for sure. And because fatherhood for men is such a loaded term and carries so much emotional weight and can mean so many different things to people. Yeah. And I think even if you look at Ned and Steve or Klaus, you know, Klaus sees Steve as like a dad, even though yeah. Klaus, Steve sees Klaus as more like a little brother. Because yeah. he's uncomfortable being in patriarchal, in a, in a position of being that to someone. Well, and there's that, that's... that thread throughout this whole movie where we slowly learn as the audience, like, wherever, how, how, when did Steve first learn about Ned? And that goalpost is moved over and over again. It's like he learned about him when they met on the boat. And then he learned about him four years ago. And then he learned out about him when he wrote the letter when he was eight. And then it's like, no, he knew about him from the time he was born is the final mm-hmm. stake we get. And it's like, it's, it's what he's been running from forever and ever and ever. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's cool. And like they're the way Klaus reacts to Ned and Steve's immediate kinship 
mm-hmm. is really funny, but also really rich. It kind of adds to this mm-hmm. this theme that we're finding of the movie of mm-hmm. men looking for someone to tell them that they're okay and like validate themselves, and then like you know kind of live up to what they think they have to be as men. Yeah. Mm-hmm being this like rough sea explorer that goes on adventures and has gun gunfights and knife fights, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh speaking of Ned gets a gun. <laughs> they get, all have uh, guns. <laughs> my crew, favorite crew line Glock. <laughs> My favorite line of the entire movie is like Marianne, do the interns get Glocks? No, they all share one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that this that kind of struck me this time more than any is just like when they get to the compound and the only people there are other Zisu people and they all have guns strapped to their thighs. <laughs> Just yeah. like, like, and it's, it's like Klaus's gun is so weird. Cause we also get that scene where he like confronts Steve and, or confronts Ned and smacks him in the face. And it's like, he's holding a gun in this whole sequence. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that insane moment where Steve points the gun at Kate Blanchett when they're doing the interview yes. on the ship. That's insane. Oh yeah. Yes. No, ab- absolutely. I mean, yeah, he, he is, like, monstrous to her. Yes. Yes. He and, points a gun uh, at an unarmed pregnant woman. But he has a thing for her. Yes. Oh, yeah. He he knocks her, he knocks th- down her door and destroys her door <laughs> and calls it flirting. Yes. yes. I just wanted to flirt with you. That line is so sad. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, it, it it's so, and it's so perfect because, like, like I think like a lot of men that behave like this or maybe men in general where it's like so much outward projection of strength but also so brittle yes. and so needing of everyone to like them and respect them cuz all that shit is fake. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And well, and, and well, well yeah, the whole the whole conversation of like he claims her when she's he's like Klaus not this one and he's like okay like they right, like, yeah. like like as if it would happen for any of you. Like, yeah. <laughs> Sue George is like, oh, she, I like her hair. And it's like, yeah, but Steve already called her. You know, yes, that, like, and it's like so gross and super sad. fraternal. <laughs> yeah, like collegey. Oh boy, uh, I really love a scene where they're watching the old adventures and Klaus is like, this is how it used to be. I and again Johnny Quest yeah. vibes from all of those. See, oh, it's for sure. all yeah that's what it feels like it's hilarious oh, you know you know he watched johnny quest back yes. in the 70s oh yeah <laughs> so we get the first helicopter foreshadowing too when they go into town to try and get the loan from michael gambon who's in this movie yeah right yeah for sure yeah when was the last time this helicopter was serviced oh klaus is supposed to do it <laughs> right <laughs> yeah also very novelistic the sort of you don't even realize they're hanging a lantern on anything until you like are rereading it the second time right right we uh we meet the Bond Company stooge, <laughs> Bob. I'm also a human being. That whole scene in the elevator is hilarious. You're gonna bust right. our balls on this man. Um, and then uh, Operation Hennessy. They go to steal Jeff Goldblum's lab equipment. Just, <laughs> just, just robbing him. Like, yeah. It is. There isn't even a scene where Steve Zizu's like, "Well, we have no choice. We have to." They just no. no. And then the whole crew is stealing lab equipment and stuff for the movie and what steve wants is the espresso machine and uh-huh. that is so like like he's like get that no fuck the computers i want i need and make me a latte he tells one of the interns to take it and make me a yeah. latte after one of them falls down the stairs <laughs> and again um, that c lab is like a three-story set like oh this yeah budget it's is bananas yeah mm-hmm. and that's when they decide to or steve decides to take them into unprotected waters uh, this, for the sake of saving time. We get a brief Goldblum scene where we have maybe my favorite line of dialogue Jeff Goldblum has ever spoken in a film, which is, crooked fuckers broke into my C-Lab. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm so pissed I could spit. 
I love. I just get, love his. Get his, my, his I love get that my open like, gun and load it with buckshot. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Every line of dialogue is hilarious, and then he's got. Oh, his, and he's carrying it too. He's carrying yes. the gun over his shoulder. With his, yeah. Later I, in the movie, and I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna say it with his like squadron of twinks. Like I just oh, absolutely love, yeah. I love the tight little sailor boy uniforms. I love the little blonde haircuts. I love how almost offensive everything about this crew is. It's very like Slytherin meets like Mondo Burger. Um, <laughs> like Air yeah, it's it's perfect. And like very kind of like I don't know, like I don't wanna I don't wanna spoil like one of the last lines of the movie until we get to it. Okay. But like just the what what Alistair represents on the prism of masculinity in yes. this movie. Where he is also just as like, you know, performancey and like wants everyone to you know, oh Scott, you I mean you nailed it a couple weeks ago of like the Andersonian hero is always faking it until he makes it. Right. Right. Like creating the, a character for himself. And then right. the, the added detail of he's Angelica Houston's first husband. So mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> like she's she's got a weird thing for oceanographers that we've already that we, this establishes. And and it makes like Steve's hatred of him just extra funny to me. I love when characters have a type that is so insanely specific. Like it makes me laugh every time that joke of like, she's got a thing for oceanographers. Like what? Why oceanographers? (laughs) Why that specifically? (laughs) I love that. Uh, The the Mark Mothersbaugh score for this. Yeah. Devo baby. Yeah. Is this the most score uh, an Anderson movie has had so far, Scott? Would you say? Uh, I feel like Royal Tenenbaum had a lot of score. It was just a lot more subtle than yeah. this mm-hmm. one. Because the score yeah, this for is... this is just fully Portuguese David Bowie for like 80%, which I love. I eat that all up. It's so yeah. interesting and cool. Yeah. But no, because we get the, the jump cut comparison of uh, uh, Hennessy's squad. And then we jump to the iconic, iconic shot of them all in the scuba suits where we get that amazing song with the mm-hmm. oh we right put on, we put um, on a rabbit ear to pump in some tunes and then he like can't decide if he should dance on camera or not and it like you said <laughs> billy another another unnecessary thing that they added just because it was cool <laughs> to add extra <laughs> steps everything has extra steps <laughs> yeah the henry sell i didn't know henry Selick animated it but it's it's gorgeous stop motion animation and it's like impossible not to think of like oh is this where the fantastic mr fox seeds were planted right you know mm-hmm. He he talks a lot about the 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 ship cutaway actually being the main impetus of wanting to do a stop motion animated film because he right. loved designing that so much. But he was like, no one is ever going to let me do something like this ever again because this is so <laughs> insane and expensive. And I'm just not going to tell anyone that they're spending way too much money on this movie. <laughs> and he was like, next time I do this, I want to do it on a smaller scale and do like a claymation movie. Um, and then that's that's obviously where uh, yeah. where Fantastic Mr. Fox comes from. Mm-hmm. And I think sometime we just kind of passed over it, but but I I, re- I had a moment realizing this time that every single one of the main characters or a lot of the main characters are grieving. Um, mm-hmm. Steve is grieving Esteban. Ned is grieving his mother, who we found out died right. by suicide. And then I never got hit by how sad this line is, but we have um, Kate Blanchett calling her editor who we find out is the married father of her baby married to somebody else and she Mm -hmm. says the line i don't even know why i'm still fucking pregnant or whatever and it's like like just like her that's all that's the only mention in the whole movie that she has been considering an abortion and it's yeah 
like her whole worldview is like so profoundly sad at that moment. Like it's, it's, and then that carries over to her character for the rest of the film. But like we get so much sadness in the character development and then so much comedy in everything that's happening. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, she, she, she's prone to, she's so tough and is, has such gumption as a character, but she has, she has a thing where she keeps like crying in the middle of a sentence or interview. And, and, you know, Steve calls her out on it and it's like, I oh, you cry a lot, but like, she's, handling so much and living with so yeah. much it's interesting because she's she's also putting on this sort of like facade of like strength that yeah. is yeah, a tough reporter right but it's again it's that fake it till you make it thing where it's like by doing that we've just all described her as strong and how she's putting up with a lot <laughs> right but it's yeah. a facade you know yeah. like she like she breaks down and cries all the time and you just start to the whole point of this movie is just sort of realizing that that's just life yeah. it's like Right. No one has it figured out. Like everyone is faking it, you know? So, so, you know, going back to like, well, why would a young man at 32 find, make a whole movie about a 53 year old? And it's like his heroes are now, and we're kind of dealing with it now. Our heroes are middle aged now. Our heroes are in our, in their fifties and sometimes really disappointing to us. Yes. And not who we thought they were when we were kids, writing fan letters to them and like putting right. pictures of them on our walls, you know? Because she's a fan too. You find out she had a poster above his bed, and right after he finds that out, he tries to kiss her, which extra point in the right. Steve is gross category. Yeah, but it yeah. makes all of the the flirting so much more much of a bummer because you're like, oh, she like she's, she looked up to you. So yeah, much. it's all it's all hero. Your heroes being broken in front of you over and over again. I mean, yeah, there's like certainly the- there's certainly a straight line you can draw from Steve Sisu to Joss Whedon, like in terms of like <laughs> for sure. Of like you're not the person I thought you were. Like not living up to like the expectations, using their you know finding out what how weak this person actually is and how right. so what a stranglehold masculinity can have yes. on even people that we perceive as great. Yes, yes. Of yes. like they can still just be a gross dude misreading a moment. Right. And like, or like, you know, ugh, you know, that whole, and all of a sudden, none of the accolades or medals or anything mean anything. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then pirates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the crew is attacked by pirates. Because Are we being Ned hijacked? Was too busy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Out here we call uh, them pirates. The, the uh the the uh major tom or space odyssey countdown as the pirates are getting closer is really fun uh-huh. the the boat coming out of the fog is a really cool shot with with sue george mm-hmm. playing yeah, the guitar yeah, yeah, and yeah. The, yeah it's great i i love the reveal of why the pirates targeted them specifically of like they, <laughs> oh, were, they were holding in a restaurant watching a special <laughs> where they talk about how they have all this money <laughs> yeah. in a vault <laughs> yeah no, there's so no way the safe, there's no way they know about the safe. Immediate cut to them <laughs> watching. And that moment right there, Scott, like as hilarious as it is, I think that was a big moment as a kid of learning visual comedy. Of uh-huh. y- you can tell a joke with just like one or two cuts and uh-huh. like really great visual information being told. <laughs> yeah. oh, God. So even good. these even these pirates are kind of given a little bit of backstory of like oh th- this was like a plan they all had they're not just like video game bad guys right right well, they, they all feel right. very distinct because they're all the same actors later at the hotel but they all have like a sense of style and there's like a a consistent fashion it's i yeah mm-hmm. I, it's it's yeah. interesting and then we get a scene that left a big impact on me as a kid the uh the search and destroy shootout uh-huh. iggy pop the the one of the yeah the most one of the most magnum pi scenes in the movie where it is kind of like what I, i'm always surprised it isn't a dream sequence yeah because 
Like it is every man, like middle-aged beer gutted man's fantasy of like getting to be Liam Neeson or Bruce Willis in a shootout and like take control of the situation. And this gives me again, those like Johnny quest vibes. It's like all of a sudden people's lives are in danger. I love that moment right before the, the, the needle drop where the filter changes, like everything's kind of blue and then Steve <laughs> gets pissed and the, the and like everything gets a little warmer. He gets himself out of the restraints and then just is like a like a badass pistol wielding action hero. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah. what's, did he have to do this a lot in his 20s? Is this why they have all this camaraderie is because they were like, for sure, like this is yeah. for sure this has happened. Well, before. well, I, and I, I, I do love that that is what's going on. But I also love that Wes Anderson is not afraid to shoot it in a way where it's like all these people are idiots and they, none of them know what they're <laughs> yeah, doing. No, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is a ship full of morons. And like they're all shooting each other and they all barely know how to use guns. Yeah, like there's mm-hmm. one person gets shot in this whole shootout and there's like 47 bullets. flying. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. uh, like the kind of the Anderson Anderson loves like the finding the truth of like yeah chaos violence, violence is chaos yes like you can't control it like when the intern gets like you know a machete into his shoulder and it's oh, funny yeah. it's <laughs> I think it's, it's funny, funny and yeah. I think it's funny because it's Matthew Gray Goobler and we like know him now yeah. I think that's why it's right. funny yeah no it, it, it is funny because it's so unnecessary and it's 100% Steve's fault <laughs> but but it's like a comedy and a movie, so like it, it worked and no one but, was killed. And what's crazy is that's the intern that sticks around. Like yes. when they all bail, he's the yeah. one that hangs out. Like he's the one mm-hmm. that sticks sticks. I, with I them. think he thinks Steve saved his life because he does kill the guy with the machete. He shoots him in the neck and he's the one who dies. Right. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then they they have the decency, they're start starting to give him a burial at sea. <laughs> Yeah. And, then, and then the Hennessy crew shows up and there's a guy over the there. other side. <laughs> <laughs> that and makes me laugh. This is kind of the moment of the movie where Steve is genuinely trying to be a good guy because his his like weird father complex is why he goes so hard to save Ned. He seems to be inspired by Bob's selflessness. Yeah. And is like, we have to rescue him. Yes. We have to go after the fact him. that he feels he needs to rescue the bank guy is like a big moment for me. Coming off mm-hmm. of the scuba dive scene where, <laughs> as they're rolling, Ned says, can I call you dad in this scene? No, why? <laughs> like, it's like he's oh, immediately yeah, that's trying. Really... Yeah, he's immediately trying to repair that. That's a really heartbreaking scene. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, call me, call me Steve-Z. <laughs> call me Steve-Z. In the wake of the pirate attack, there is talk of a mutiny. Uh, Marianne and the interns leave. This is just super Wes Anderson to me, is that when they're talking about the mutiny, they're at a fully laid out dinner and they're all drinking champagne. Like, it's like, there's there's like a ton of food on the table and everyone has a really nice crystal glass (laughs) of champagne and they're talking about the mutiny. It's It's very hobbity. Yeah. And then, of course, the the scene where she leaves with the interns, we have that great scene with Klaus again, where he, if not, yes, (laughs) he steps forward. Oh, it might be my fave, one of my favorite scenes ever in a comedy (laughs) i just remember my dad and i alone in the theater just laughing because it's like the way he words it is so like so stupid like if you're not against me don't step forward yeah and it's like and then because if yes do (laughs) he's so and klaus is so proud of himself when he's the first to step forward you can see it in willem defoe's face i'm sorry i misunderstood do it again He gets so frustrated with himself. Uh, I, so... love, I love Willem Dafoe in this movie so much. Yeah. Yeah, all the interns leave except Matthew Gay Gluber. That's a fun moment when he like when Steve really gets inspired that 
this one intern stays. I thought you left. Yeah. No, I decided to say, great job, intern. You're getting an A. God, God damn it, intern. God damn it, intern. <laughs> I can't fail you. I can't fail any of you, but I can't I can't pass you either. You're all getting an incomplete. <laughs> so this is brutal. fucking bullshit. <laughs> 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 and that really felt like like Wes Anderson like saw film interns or was a film intern like that is such a like screw you oh, yeah. to the college film process just a little bit he's still a little bitter uh-huh. about something oh this yeah, yeah this definitely hit different watching this at, at 29 just how this is like every crew <laughs> and just how interns are treated like meat yep mm-hmm. um but yeah so Ooh. they reach land they go to Italy again I guess is this yeah. Italy Scott yeah, it's all Italy. It's all it's Italy all Italy. And off the coast of Italy. Yeah. Okay. So they uh, they have a reunion. Eleanor is staying at Alistair's mansion. Summering, I should say, Summering. at Alistair's <laughs> mansion. And that yoga instructor that she's with is um, what I look like in my head. Like, that is my perception. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Every time he I... shows up, I forget he's in this movie, and I go, oh, that's the aesthetic I've been chasing for 15 years, is long-haired, rimmed. <laughs> I, you know, there's not nearly enough... Uh, Angelica Houston in this movie and Eleanor feels like much less of a character than uh, Ethelin and Royal Tenenbaums. But what those moments we do get with her are really cool. Yeah. Of like, you know, like, yeah, her boy toy or like the fact that she's like an heiress. Oh, um, one of my favorite early jokes with her is when she decides to leave as he's chasing her down the dock, trying to get her to leave. All of the crew are carrying her luggage overhearing this husband and wife argument but they're all like just bus boys with all of her really expensive luggage and i find that i mean her whole thing is hilarious no she's great for the for the good of bob eleanor's back you know giving them money funding their their adventures the deducing which island he's on based on the wildlife in the background because she's a better oceanographer than any of them could ever hope to be (laughs) yes right that you know i'm not saying this like like i'm calling it out but there is a really cool wes anderson type of like the hyper competent matriarch, yeah, mm-hmm. like because that that moment reminds me a lot of uh, the mom in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yep, mm-hmm. how she was like hyper competent and like yeah. kind of kept everything together. Yeah, like he does really like that archetype and never sets her in a place of being the fuddy duddy stick in the mud either. Yeah, there's like a you can an unspoken respect yeah. just yes. in the way that she's like shot or presented. You know, like think about what Jane does for her unborn uh, child. Reading of, like, all the you poetry, know, re- yeah, yeah, yeah. Re- uh, cho- choosing not to curse, trying not to curse now, so she won't win after it's born. You know, yeah. trying yeah. to live up to her expectations of motherhood. Yeah, a b- a baby that she isn't even sure she wants. Yes, like right, yeah, yeah. Uh, th- there's that line so. in the boat where she's like panicked by the pirates, and she says, "I need to find a baby for this father." <laughs> and Steve says, "He's like, I think I know what you mean." <laughs> <laughs> That's a great yes. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> So uh, we get the second, like, you know, Miami Vice Magnum P.I. sequence of the movie where they, like, storm the, the gates at the Ping Islands. Do Billy. we know anything about this set? Because this whole sequence is also stupidly expensive looking. Not a set. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. yeah that they, they like, filmed Because that, it, the, like, everything about this is, like, transcendent incredible that they found this dilapidated hotel They've got the, the entrance on the... Oh, they have them walk onto the beach like fucking Navy SEALs. They come out of the ocean. Um, mm-hmm. uh, all of the, like, lawn furniture skewed everywhere. The fact that this is where him and Ev- Eleanor had their honeymoon. Yes. It was a lot different back then. <laughs> the best rum cannonball he ever had. 
Oh, and then and then another stupid joke, which is swamp leeches, swamp leeches. Nobody else got hit. I'm the only one. What's going on here? <laughs> this is this is probably the most like fantastic Mr. Fox that his live action films get. Yes. Yeah. It, it's also it feels the way that he wanted bottle the bottle rocket heist to feel. Yes. But it, oh, it but yes. it, but it's executed. With right. someone who's got like two other movies under his belt at this point, sure, and like a lot more money, right? Of course, but, yeah. But you hit the nail. I, I thought about what you said earlier, Scott. Where like it is very Magnum PI, but everyone looks like a total dork because yes. I, it's it, it's like it's like boys print playing with guns or pretending to be the, like the, the the electric blue light blue wetsuits don't help. Like, and there's that amazing right, yeah. shot of Willem Dafoe like clearing all of the hotel rooms, but not well. And it's that like long tracking <laughs> shot as he's like looking in each doorway, but like very quickly. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. that cracks me up every time. It's it's this is literally boys playing dress up. This whole it sequence. reminds me. It reminds me so much of the sabotage music video. You know, for sure. Like, of, very similar uh, yeah. sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Yes, of yeah. like the hum- like the kind of fun of that kind of yeah. fa- fantasy. Like wearing fake mustaches and like playing yeah. toy guns, right, right. But it was like kind of inspiring. This whole sequence of like, I bet a lot of scripts are like this, or you know, people could tell Wes Anderson if he was playing, if he was pitching this to like classmates at UT, of like, well, that's hard. You can't make a movie like that without <laughs> a lot of money. And I guess that this was a lot of money. This was what like thirty million dollars, fifty. 50. Fifty million dollars. Yeah. So yeah, so that's like not crazy, but it's also that's not a. I don't know if that would happen again. I don't right. like right. a movie that isn't based on a board game or a or a like a potato chip or something. But like, just like <laughs> I don't know, it, it was cool seeing like a, a director that isn't known for shooting action choosing to just shoot a sequence like this. And like, yeah, there's no other sequence in a movie that looks like this, and yeah. that's really cool. But Steve falls down the stairs. <laughs> yeah, Steve falls down the stairs. And that's where I wrote in my notes. Masculinity is a prison. Yes. Like because there's this scene where he like is trying to open up and connect with Ned and he can't. And it's like, oh, yeah, because like he's whole his whole life. He's taught himself that he has to be Steve Zizou. This like, you know, they, they say it in the Sopranos pilot. We're like, whatever happened to Gary Cooper? Strong, silent, holding it all in. And I'm like, he fucking he's. He hated it. He hated yeah. it. It's it's painful. It hurts living like that. Yeah. And, and you you see it in that in that moment, yeah. Steve. Uh and then we get the uh we get the rescue of of Goldblum wearing his I'm a pepper shirt, which is a Wes Anderson mm-hmm. detail I love. Um and again, like random action hero shit, because we see that Steve succeeds at the rescue, but the last we see is him <laughs> unloading his clip into a room with 10 other men and somehow he goes in gets Goldblum out and gets out without getting shot yet again that uh-huh. tracking shot that left to right tracking shot with the spark sparks flying and the sh- it was just beautiful it's and so, so yes. crazy it's so yes. cool <laughs> uh, and also unspoken horribly sad things shortly before this they found the burial of all of Hennessy's crew all 10 of the twinks are dead <laughs> right yeah <laughs> They are, they all died. Kind of again, like unexpected bursts of violence in these yeah. in, in these movies. Well, when Goldblum gets shot, he's like, "All right, boys, I fold." And they just shoot him right in the stomach. Yeah, yeah. And he's in a sling for the rest of the movie with his titty so, out, which I love. <laughs> Billy, you mentioned noticing things for the first time during this movie, mm-hmm. and I noticed my new favorite joke, maybe in in movies. Period, where um, like the engine shot. They're out of money, and Steve's like, "Fuck it!" Like, you know, we're we're done. We're going home. And they they followed Ned and Steve down a hallway, but you see Klaus in the background, 
and Ned is like pumping Steve up. And he's like, come on, like I put up $275,000 in this production and we're going to finish it. And he goes hands in and Klaus also does hands in to himself. <laughs> I, like, have to, I don't know if I've ever noticed that. He like stops and notices that a moment's happening and he's like in the background. And when Steve and, and Ned do hands in, he kind of puts his hand in too. I, and, this is, and this is right after thanks a lot. Thanks again for not choosing me. Like that. What do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's so insecure. He just wants to be on A Squad. A Squad. And yeah, late, yeah. And then we get shortly after this. He's like, Klaus, you're A Squad. Like he's leaving him again, but he shows like, I have confidence yeah, in you yeah. as a leader. You're my number two, which is a nice, a nice mm-hmm. little growth between him and Klaus that finally shows up. And the uh, the moment when they're about to get on the helicopter, the Whirly Bird, and and like it's such a beautiful moment, Willem Dafoe, where he gets angry that Owen Wilson isn't isn't like taking this moment seriously enough. Yes. And it's like, it's really beautiful because it's like, I think that's very, a very human emotion that isn't often expressed of like, no, no, like I'm trying to tell you something really important and you're not getting it. And like the salute. And he's like, he doesn't, again, kind of like masculinity. He doesn't know how to say what he's feeling yes. for Ned. And it's, but, and, and knowing what we're going into, it breaks my heart every time. And then the, uh, the whirly bird goes up and uh, there's this just chilling moment that kind of just speaks to Anderson as a great director. You know, of in the middle of this comedy, there is this like chilling moment where they're talking. They're like, oh, it's going to be good. You know, blah, blah, blah. And then they both hear the noise mm-hmm. and you see both of them react and look at each other in the eye. And the, the, the Anderson gives you this moment of they both know like they're fucked. And there's mm-hmm. something with the way it's filmed, too, where like every time they've been in this helicopter or been in the hot air balloon, it's felt like a children's book. It's felt very mm-hmm. safe and colorful and pretty. And the, that noise is so guttural and their reaction is so guttural. You as the audience, or at least me, is immediately like, oh, they're in the sky in a box of metal. Like, right. it's yeah. immediately and like the... terrifying. And all of the, like, fantasy goes away immediately. Mm-hmm. And, like, uh, Steve covering Ned, or putting his arm over Ned. Mm-hmm. This is going to hurt. This and then letting hurt, the camera... Me. I, I've never seen a helicopter crash like that. And it's you're so, you're so right, Billy. Like, you're just to see you see your own feet or see the machine just hurtle towards the ocean would be so scary. Yeah. They make you live the moment of anticipation, which yeah. is horrible. I, and and again, I, that line, this is going to hurt is um, <laughs> profound a little bit. Like, what do you say? What do you say? Like shit. Yeah. That all happens after the reveal that uh, Steve had the letter from Ned the whole time. Ned had his letter, his response. Um, he yeah. carried around in his pocket. And we yeah. saw that reveal way earlier in the movie. And then mm-hmm. we get the reveal here that like, no, uh, I carried your years around too. And uh, we also had a reveal that I, I like more and more, more the more I see this movie, which is Angelica Houston telling Kate Blanchett that Steve can't have children. Yeah. Zizu yeah. shoot blanks. Zizu shoots blanks, which um, uh, uh, honestly kind of makes sense because we see at the beginning of the movie, he's clearly sleeping around all the time and he has no other illegitimate children and no children mm-hmm. with Eleanor. Mm-hmm. Um, he, spend, he spends half his life underwater that's yes that's hilarious that's the reason um, is that he scuba dives too and, much and and you're right scott like you know the cut of the letter the reveal that he's had the letter this whole time is you know just so moving but 12 year old little kentucky fancy boy owen wilson <laughs> voice is <laughs> hilarious incredible incredible <laughs> the line that of angelica zizu shoots blanks i don't know a lot can happen in 30 years. 
to. Oh, sure. I, I think the movie equipment. definitely leaves it am- ambiguous. Yeah. 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 It, it leaves it ambiguous, but I, I found, at least for me, that I have fully like stepped into the school of thought that they're not related. Because mm-hmm. I think it, it, it adds an extra level of like what is a father-son relationship profoundness mm-hmm. to the whole thing. Like there's mm-hmm. the fact that they're just both looking for something and found this friendship in each other through mm-hmm. this miscommunication. It's yeah. a fun, sweet little mystery that yeah. Wes Anderson leaves for you to solve for yourself. Yes. So, oh, 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 so the scene that just is so like, oh my God, just the the visual storytelling is when they're floating in the ocean yep. and Owen Wilson is being very like not, you know, tough and like not revealing how much pain he is, but the camera's bobbing up and down and then you just see red. Yeah. Yeah. It's brutal. Under the water. And like I remember the the reaction that got from the audience because like you said, Billy, it's so startling because mm-hmm. this has been such a soft, fun movie the whole time. Yeah, but like so chilling and not gory at all, but just communicating so much. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I I remember being very startled by this when I first saw it and not understanding why mm-hmm. this was in the movie. And I think today watching it, revisiting it, it's sort of just like I guess it's just showing like in middle age, like the lessons life gives us are become, become more and more difficult to make sense of. Yeah. Of like, yeah. what am I supposed to take from this? Why did, why did you, I mean, presume if you're talking to a God, you know, yeah. like wh- why did you give this me, this person just to take him away so quickly? Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. Scott. Yeah. Well, see, and I actually, I think that, you know, cause like all of this leads to like, you know, the funeral and then they, mm-hmm. they find the Jaguar shark and, and take the submarine down to get shots of it. And or and kill it, air quotes, destroy it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that like all of this comes down to sort of like look at life and death and how the things that happen to you in life largely aren't personal. Like it's not yeah. personal. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't. The helicopter didn't crash because of it wanted revenge. It just happened. Right. Exactly. The 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 jaguar shark was just doing what it was built to do, which was like eat and survive. Yeah. yeah. And when you know? and when when Steve is staring at this animal again in the face. They're all awed by odd, like, you know, AWED by the beauty of this creature. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we get Sigaros, which I think is the most modern needle tra- needle drop of maybe Anderson's career. Uh, yeah. Possibly. So this, so I've, I've cried a few times at like Ned's death and I've cried at the mm-hmm. funeral because I think the moment where Kate Blanchett puts all the unwritten letters on the coffin is so sad because mm-hmm. he gave her the, like the bundle of letters to write. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but we get everyone in the submarine, Michael Gambon included. I love that he's there. Um, and that that's the scene. It's not even the scene that kills me. What was I trying to say? Oh, so I love the soundtrack for this film, but Wes Anderson, I think, intentionally left this song off the soundtrack. It's not in the film soundtrack. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think it's, it's, a really, it's really effectively used because it is so alien from everything else we've heard in the movie score mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. for it to be coming from this otherworldly seaside creature, because like Sigaros is like a very like of the earth band yes, yes. where it's like it came out of a crack in the earth. Yes. Yes. And no, it so feels I think it's like, super it smart. It feels like the music comes with the shark. It like feels like he brought it. Yeah. And, um, and then we have... The line in the movie where Steve says, do you think it remembers me? Uh And I break into sobs every single time. I'm going to cry. Fuck. Like, that is the moment where it's like everything in this movie has led to this. And that's all he wants. After all of the, all of the hoity-toity, all of the, the talks of revenge, all of the sacrifice, 
he just he just respects this otherworldly thing so much he just wants it to acknowledge him mm-hmm. and i feel like it's just really steve just wants to be acknowledged and and he has throughout the, like this whole climax it's like all of that shit oh i love it yeah well and he just he wants to be acknowledged not just by this particular thing but just by life like yeah. i want to be acknowledged like do all of these things that are that have happened to me do any of them mean anything yeah. And like, does this thing remember me? Because if it doesn't, did it mean anything? Yeah. Did it taking my friend mean anything? And if it didn't mm-hmm. mean anything, then why am I so angry? You know, like what, right, yeah. what, what, what can I do? Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's a, it's a really, uh, again, it's pretty impressive to be coming from such young filmmakers at the time. Uh-huh. Cause it's a very, uh, wise kind of like the grace that Steve finds under the sea of I'm just going to let this thing that is older than me and more powerful than me just let it be because like it wouldn't add anything to the world by like blowing this up or shooting it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And kind of kind of a referendum of the masculinity masculinity that he's been clinging to the whole movie. Well, everyone everyone reaches out for him and everyone and then yeah, they, they all, all put a hand on his shoulder and then yeah. they all hold on together and there's a really subtle moment where he let just lets the shark swim over the top of the sub to leave. And it rocks mm-hmm. the whole shub, sub, and then all of them are holding on to each other as it rocks. And it's like a nice mm-hmm. little touch just to see that whole human connection. Yeah. And then we come back to the premiere and, oh, but there's something else I wanted to mention. There's this part where they're they're on the boat. Uh, Alistair finds out that all of his equipment's been stolen. <laughs> he sees the, he sees, yeah. is this my coffee machine? <laughs> and, and so he takes Steve aside and he says, wow, we both you know we're pretty shitty husbands i guess i have an excuse i'm part gay (laughs) and steve says uh according like some say we all are and that i think that line is really kind of saying a lot it's it's an aside but it is kind of steve un like accepting this kind of maybe new version of masculinity yeah because when when goldblum says that he's got the bandage on that's got his titty out which i love Mm -hmm. and but as soon as steve says well some people say we all are they embrace and so we've got like shirtless part gay goldblum hugging his arch rival zisu after talking about well you know maybe everyone's a little bit gay and it's like it's really nice it's and it also they get to it also Please. acknowledges that some of their tension is homoerotic tension, which is hilarious. <laughs> I think this is, yeah, quietly, you know, unfortunately, quietly, like, yeah, like operating on some really cool themes and get in terms of like gay cinema or yeah. just people trying to or like, yeah, kind of like this moment where two men can maybe put their armor down that they've been wearing for decades and just have a moment of vulnerability where they can just like hug. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to be like, hey, it's I don't know why we're doing this either. But <laughs> uh and I, I love the ending of of Steve walking with Klaus's nephew on on his shoulders. And again, like a, a theme of all of Anderson's movies, like family gathering around each other in recovery after disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a little detail I noticed, too, that I don't know if I'd noticed before, is that right as that sequence starts, he chooses the nephew over the trophy. He's He's clearly won oh. an award for this documentary. Like part two has won something. And when he picks up the nephew, he leaves the trophy on the carpet and walks away from it. And it's like, mm-hmm. is that all Steve learned is to pick human connection over praise? And maybe that's enough. Maybe that. Right, yeah. <laughs> we, we, uh, we get that moment where Kate Blanchett says that, you know, in 11 and a half years or 12 and 12 years, his son will be 11 and a half, which is how old Ned was when he wrote his letter. Yeah. And it's saying like, you know, this isn't 
Ned wasn't your only chance to plant seeds and impact people's lives. Like you can still do that. Mm-hmm. You still have time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love this movie. And we get the, uh, uh, the iconic regular speed into slow-mo speed, final Wes Anderson shot. Yeah. Um, and I love that we get a fun credit sequence. We get them all walking happy, going to maybe do another mission. Everyone's back. Angelica Houston's in love with them again. It's almost like a fantasy, but it feels there's been enough suffering in the film that it feels real and happy. And Matthew Gray Goobler has an outfit. It's just funny. Yeah, he's on the team. It's funny to me he's that he's in this movie then. because, like, now knowing who he is, like, I just, every time he's a background character, I'm like, Matthew Gray Goobler. He's like there yeah. the whole time. We did not mention it, but I, I, I have to mention it. The the dolphins watching uh, Ned and, and Kate Blanchett have sex and then like <laughs> laughing with each other. Oh He's yeah, the, the I think the funniest moment in the whole movie is when the one dolphin turns to the other dolphin and it's like nodding. Yes. Yeah, they're both laughing, like kind of like yeah, <laughs> just like also the, to be like they're clearly intelligent, and we meet them by Steve saying they're supposedly very intelligent, though I've seen no sign of this. <laughs> yeah, the fact that the fact that he hates the dolphins yeah. just <laughs> makes it that much funnier. <laughs> and again, that's such a their... like they're a Saturday morning cartoon squad of adventurers mm-hmm. who are like out of money mm-hmm. and no one cares anymore. Also, gr- great movie dog in this. Yes, Cody. The one, yeah, Cody, the, yeah. One, the three-legged dog. Yeah, not doesn't die during the movie, but. Probably doesn't last too much longer after. I don't know. I like to believe a lot of the pirates survived and he got to go back with his people. They're his pirates. That's true. That's true. He's maybe from that island to begin with. They just brought him back home. Oh, yeah. That line after the mutant, after the pirate attack. You left your dog, you fucking amateurs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, Scott, any uh, any final opinions on thoughts on Life Aquatic? It's it's interesting. And we're going to we're going to be like getting into this where. Every movie, he has a different co-writer on going mm-hmm. forward. Um, and I think that this is, I, I find it really interesting that he wrote this one with Noah Baumbach because it just feels so different from every other movie that he's made uh, up to this point and, and after this point. This is like kind of this uh i don't know it just it sticks out and i think i think for a lot of people it sticks out in a bad way um but i find that the two of them as storytellers i think complement each other in an interesting way because i mm-hmm. i find that noah bombach movies largely lack a visual component that i need from cinema um, uh, you know, and, and because he is very much, I mean, I would say, I would say, um, Francis Ha is a beautiful film, but I think that it's the Their one marriage that story. I see. I don't think marriage, I don't think marriage story oh, has, okay. has a, a great, you know, visual component. Um, in mm-hmm. my opinion, I think it is kind of just shot like a play in a lot of ways. So like, I, I really like that this is, they sort of lean on each other and, and they made this movie that feels very different from the West, the rest of Wes Anderson's filmography. Uh, you know, they never really work together again in that, in that fashion, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, Anderson produces the squid and the whale, but, uh, I love this movie. Yeah. Thanks so much yeah. for being on the show and talking about it. I think, uh, it's aged really well for me. I had a lot of fun revisiting it. I, I mm-hmm. was surprised at how often I still laughed out loud at jokes I knew were coming. The delivery and... of the jokes in this movie are so specific yes. that it's like, it's hard not to. 
you know? Because <laughs> even though you remember it, you don't remember it. Right. And then it hits you and you're like, God damn it. That is so funny <laughs> the way they delivered that. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just saw this movie at the right time. I'd never seen anything like it. I'd never, I also had like no affinity really for Bill Murray before oh. this. Like I have, I have no childhood Ghostbusters. I saw Ghostbusters for the first time, like eight years ago, like, mm-hmm. like fully an adult when I saw Ghostbusters. So it was just like a lot of, it, it gave me a lot of actors that I fell in love with immediately. I mean, this is, this is my, I mean, Wes Anderson in general is why I'm pretty ride or die with Owen Wilson. Um, and now just like after Loki, I'm like, he's still doing it. I love him so much. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think this film is profound and it had a huge hit impact on me. And apparently it still makes me cry every time. So mm-hmm. we'll see. What more can we ask of art? Right. <laughs> so uh, thank you for joining us, Billy. Thank you for listening. Uh, as always, we uh, appreciate you guys. Scott. What's uh, what's going on next week? Darjeeling Limited. Yep, the Darjeeling Limited is next week. Wow, that really that was a struggle to get out. The Darjeeling <laughs> Limited is next week, and uh, and then uh, yeah, I don't know. We're like halfway through, I think, at this point. So, yeah, is it Moonrise yeah, Kingdom after that? Yes, so that'll be that'll be interesting. Thanks everyone for listening. We will talk to you guys next week, and we'll be on a train instead of a boat. Bye everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> trains and trains instead of boats. Oh, no.